2 Samuel chapter 4 if you have your Bibles today. Fourth chapter of 2 Samuel. It's nothing like the presence of the Lord. that I am passionate about. The name of Jesus. Worship. And the fact that God is a forgiving God. some like to talk about him being an angry God and a God of judgment but you hear me his first choice is to forgive two things we better never forget grace and mercy Second Samuel 4 one verse of scripture verse number 4 and Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth notice the wording his nurse took him the nurse fled and as she made haste to flee, he fell and became lame. I want to preach to you today on this. Wrecked beyond repair. Some of you walked in this house today feeling wrecked beyond repair. But I hope before I'm done, the Lord can change that mindset. Take somebody by the hand right now, lift it up. Join your hearts and your faith together. Oh, God, do it. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Thank you. Yes. Oh, thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for the touch of glory that's in the room today.
Thank you, God, for loving us in spite of us. Oh, God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for your sensitivity. Scripture does not give us a lot of deep detail, inside information regarding the one verse I have read to you today. In fact, if you read this chapter for yourself, you will find that this chapter and even the one before and after has really nothing to do with Mephibosheth. It's got nothing to do with the nurse. It's just tucked in there in this story as the writer gives us just a brief tidbit of information that when word was sent to the nurse of what had happened to both Saul and Jonathan, that the nurse, we are told, took this five-year-old boy. She ran for his safety. Understand today that the nurse was not told about the pact made between David and Jonathan. She was not on the scene when it was said and it was signed that David would become the next king because the way the kingdom was set up at that time is it went from son to son to son. And David not being part of the family, the nurse is unaware that he's the next in line. So as far as the nurse is concerned, if Saul is dead, if Jonathan is dead, then the next boy in line to sit on the throne is Mephibosheth. So as far as the nurse is concerned, this is more than just people killing off men. This is an attack on the kingdom. There's not just lives in danger, but a kingdom is in danger. And so her being the one that is supposed to be watching and guarding and protecting Mephibosheth. Amazing that the nurse in Scripture is as important, if not sometimes more important, than mother herself is. 
Even in this story, we do not find Mephibosheth's mother watching him. No, when the, when the kingdom is in danger, when the family is being killed off, it's the nurse who's watching over Mephibosheth. Because, hear me, it was her job. It was her responsibility. It was her duty to make sure that Mephibosheth is safe. Daddy's not there to protect him. And now grandfather's not there to protect him. And mother's not there to watch him. So it is now placed in her hands. I've got to do everything I can to make sure that the kingdom keeps living. And the kingdom survives beyond this. I've got to make sure that what happened to Saul and what happened to Jonathan does not happen to Mephibosheth. So you got to put yourself in the sandals of the nurse. It is her job. It is her responsibility to love and to protect and to guard and even preserve a kingdom and a family. So when she gets news that Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead, she doesn't take time to pack the bags. She doesn't take time to clean the house. She doesn't take time to put everything up in its place. No, there's a kingdom in danger. There's a family in danger. So I've got to do everything I can to make sure that Mephibosheth lives beyond five years old. She doesn't take time to do trivial things. That's why the Bible said she made haste to flee. She's in a hurry because death is approaching. She's in a hurry because danger is lurking over the horizon. She is in a hurry because the kingdom is falling right before her eyes. When I read this story and when I was a kid and even heard it preached, I just... I just assumed that maybe Mephibosheth was half in her shoes. And the more I picked up the spirit of this verse, it becomes clear to me that Mephibosheth has found himself in the arms of the nurse. She's not just holding his hand. She's holding his life. She is grabbing him tightly making sure he's safe making sure making sure that that he's able to live another day and go on another year and a kingdom is going to survive she's doing everything she can to make sure he is safe but it's amazing to me that the bible tells us that she took him up the bible says that she fled and we are told she made haste to flee but then all of a sudden it goes from her to him and we are told he fell but wait a minute if he's in the arms in the tight grabs of the nurse he can't fall unless she falls it didn't say she dropped him. It said he fell. But if he is in her arms, come on, it's common sense. He can't fall unless 
she falls. And yet, he fell and he became lame. She wasn't wounded. She wasn't damaged. She wasn't wrecked. She wasn't lame. He became lame. That means Mephibosheth became lame because of the fall of somebody else. He was damaged. He was wounded. He was hurt. Come on, he was wrecked. He was lame. His whole life was messed up because the one who should be protecting and the one who should be guarding and the one who should be loving fell with him. And now he has to go his whole life constantly reminded every day I am in the condition I am in because the one I trusted the one I put my life into the one that should have been holding me and protecting me failed and now I have to deal with the consequence of someone else's mistake. Isn't that the way it is in Pentecost? We put certain people on a pinnacle and we put them on a plateau and we reverence and we honor them. But when they fall, come on, they go on and live their life. But it's us who are left behind that has to deal with the wounds that someone else calls. You better be careful when you point your fingers and judgment at other people with the way they are. Be careful if you don't know their story. It's kind of hard to trust people when the ones you used to trust stab you in the back. It's kind of hard to love again when the one you love walked out on you. It's, it's kind of hard to believe churches has your best interest in heart when they went to other churches who only wanted from them what they could get from them. Come on, we can sit on our Pentecostal pews with our holiness lifestyle and say, well, they, they, they just don't want it. Well, they just need to get over it. Hold on, hold on. Do you got some stories in your past? It wasn't easy for you to get over stuff. It wasn't easy for you to get beyond stuff. Come on, Mephibosheth is walking with a limp and he's always reminded the very one who should be loving you dropped you. The very one who should have been carrying you fell with you. Come on, you're lame, you're wounded, your heart, your life is broken, your heart is broken, your mind is busted and it's not your fault, it's someone before you. Come 
on, I know some people, I know some people don't have anybody else to blame, but I'm not preaching that today. I'm preaching to some of you, you're in the condition you're in because of someone who should have been loving you failed and it left you wounded. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father. Maybe it was your grandfather. Maybe it was some other pastor or some other church. But you hear me, the worst thing you can do is hold God hostage because of what someone else did to you. There's a God who loves you enough. He's been wounded. He's been hurt. He knows what it is to help the very ones who hurt you. But there's a God. He won't fall. He won't drop you. Come on. There's a God who knows how to pick you and carry you and love you. I know that there's some people that's picked up alcohol because they wanted to. But there's a thousand other stories that they can tell you they picked it up because they saw daddy pick it up. Oh, sorry. I'm not preaching to all you saved and perfect people today. So you could go ahead and stare away. I'm preaching to some of you who's wounded and hurt and you're marked by a past that's ugly and despicable some people use drugs because they just want to but others use it because they saw mama use it and now you got to deal with temptation because the one that should have been loving you fell There are some saints who's wounded because of a preacher that fell. There are some churches who can't get who can't get on their their fifty, a hundred people because they're so wounded by someone else who was there. Come on, just be honest today. We walk around with a limp and we walk around broken. I, I know I know. we like to hide it behind our shell. And some of you like to hide it behind the fact you never smile. You want everybody to think you're tough. You want everybody to think you have it all under control. My God, it's never so obvious you don't. Those who act like they have it all together, it's so obvious you don't. that act like everything is perfect and fine. Maybe not everybody, but I can read behind you. You're hurt. You're wounded. Oh, my God. I'm in the Holy Ghost now. I'm, I'm just going to walk out on here and, and say this. You hear me, Lafayette, Indiana, you hear me, CMT. You listen to this evangelist. The worst thing you can do is hold that man hostage because of what someone else did to you. Yeah. 
job. See, for the mere fact I just had a handful of hand clapping, let me know I need to go on with that for a while. How dare some of you distrust that man because of what someone else did to you? The best thing you can do is get behind that man. Support that man. Pray for that man. Let that man know you're in his corner. Well, I don't know what he's up to. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't. My God, if you trust God enough, that he sent you that man, why in God's name would you hold him down? That's why, that's why a whole lot of you walked in this house today feeling wrecked beyond repair. With Atkins, you don't know how long I've been here. You don't understand how busted up I am. The, you know what? The number one reason people give me about not giving God a chance, not coming to an altar, not living for God, the number one reason, here it is, you just don't know my story. And I can point my finger back in your face and say, neither do you know mine. So you judge us with a microphone in our hands, standing behind a pulpit wearing a suit. You prematurely judge us. You don't know where we've been. The difference in us and some of you is we refuse to stay hostage by our past. We refuse to stay down because of who done us wrong. We choose to live beyond failure. We choose to live beyond mistake. We choose to live beyond hurt. We choose to live beyond rejection. I got if you don't hear anything I'll say, you hear these words. There is life after failure. There is life after mistakes. There is life after misery. There is life after failure. Failure is not final. But you gotta get up. You gotta stop looking at your wounds. You gotta start pointing fingers. You gotta stop blaming everybody. Come on, you gotta get up yourself. I know you're hurt. I know you're lame. I know you're damaged. But the king still wants you. David still wants you. The king is still calling for you. His name, his name is Sebastiano Del Piabo. He was a contemporary of the famous painters Michelangelo and Raphael. And he was a student of Giorgiani. Like most students, Mr. Piabo wanted to impress his teacher with the knowledge he had acquired under his leadership. So in the year 1510, 
Piabo painted a piece of art that is called Adoration of the Shepherds. It's a picture that depicts the nativity of Jesus. In this picture you see Mary holding the child, the wise men standing by, the manger in the background. This painting was so beautiful. It was so wonderfully created that everyone in that day wanted to see it, to touch it, and to have it. It hung in art galleries. It hung in hotels. It hung in palaces. It hung in nice cathedrals because everybody loved how beautiful this painting was. But in the 18th century, a king from France decided to purchase this adoration of the shepherd's painting for himself. In doing so, the king's craftsman decided to remove it from its original wooden surface to a canvas layer. But while doing this, most of the painting was ripped off. Many of its colors had faded and a piece of art that at one time was beautiful had become damaged by someone who knew nothing of its value. It was damaged by the hands of someone who did not know the original creator. Damaged by the hands of someone who did not know the heartbeat of the creator. Nor the love that the creator had for his creation. In an article I read about this painting, the editor said, as you can see in the film, and as you can see in the picture, the painting is in a very damaged state due to a restorer having the bright idea of transferring it from a surface, one surface to another. This is what the writer of the article said. As is often the case, those who have done the most damage to a painting have been those charged with the preservation of it. He said those who do the worst things to painting come from the hands of the very ones who should be protecting that painting. It is the devil's job to convince you you're the only one with the past and you're the only one with the story and you're the only one wounded and you're the only one that's been done wrong. But everybody has a story and those who have been wounded the most has come from the hands of the very ones who should be loving and protecting and preserving. Oh, for the next two and a half centuries, this painting was passed around from one painter to another, one restorer to another, one hand to another, who tried their best to bring its beauty back. 
But at the end of two and a half centuries, this painting, hear me, was no longer named Adoration of the Shepherds. Its damaged condition changed its identity. Nobody called it adoration of the shepherds. No, it took on a new name. In fact, if you were to go into art galleries back then and ask, ask them about adoration of the shepherds, they would shrug their shoulders and tell you, I've never heard of it because the painting had a new name. It wasn't called anymore adoration of the shepherds. No, its new name was wrecked beyond repair. Its damage took on its identity. Wrecked beyond repair. Nobody could fix it. Nobody could bring it back. Too many hands had been on it. Too many hands of people that didn't know its beauty, that didn't know the creator, that didn't know the author of it. Oh, God. And just when men were ready to disregard this painting, just when men we're about to give up on it. Three years ago, this wreck beyond repair painting was taken to Kerr Institute in Cambridge. And under the leadership of a man named Rupert Featherstone, they began to restore this damaged piece of art. Another article I read, Mr. Featherstone said, every now and then, our people would take a look at the painting and walk away, sadly shaking their heads as if to say there's nothing we can do. But every day, those same people would come back and go back to the painting and they would try again. Oh, God. Man may look at it and say, I can't. Man may look at it and shake their heads and say, impossible. But the thing that's impossible with men is possible with God. And there's a God who won't walk away. There's a God who'll always walk back. There's a God who'll always show back up. There's a God. All you perfect acting people right now is getting on my nerves. Have you forgotten where you've been? Have you forgotten the road you was down? Have you forgotten some blood and a bloody cross and a Calvary? Have, have you forgotten a Jesus? Have you forgotten the Savior? 
had a life. My God, you was on your way to hell. Do you remember? I don't think you do. You was on your, that's why you're mad at me right now. You was on your way to hell. But the grace and mercy of God found you. And all you can do is sit there. The grace and mercy of God saved you. And all you can do is sit. The grace and mercy of God rescued you. God's blood washed you. God's love forgave you. And all... Such were some of you. It would do some people good to stop praying for others when you need prayed for. Master Featherstone said, I was lucky enough to have seen the painting when the work was being done. Hear what he said. Don't be too terrified by the stripped down photographs because although the painting looks at first sight like a complete wreck, actually, he said, there was enough left to begin a restoration. It may be damaged, it may be dirty, it may be busted, but there's enough left. There's enough left to get my hands on it. There's enough left to go back to work. There might not be much of your life left, but if there's anything left, there's enough to get some bloody hands on it. There's enough to get some nailed, scarred hands on it. There's enough. Come on, that minor prophet said, when the shepherd shows up, there's a, and he sees his sheep, there's a hand there, and there's a leg there, and a piece of an ear there. But the prophet said, that shepherd will go after that lion, and will fight for that sheep. There may be not much left, but if there's anything left, there's enough. There's a shepherd that loves you enough. He won't let hell devour you. He won't let the devil chew on you. There's enough left to bring you back. Can't hardly see the faces. Can't can't make out the manger. The green grass has become faded. You know what Featherstone said? He said, when you look at that painting, he said, there's a lot of damage, but the one thing that was not messed up, the one thing that remained the same throughout its whole, the one thing that remained true from the from the. From the moment it was painted, the one thing that remained the same was the baby Jesus. Which proves the scripture, even in a painting, he's the same yesterday. Today. 
And baby, if there's nothing wrong with Jesus, he can still fix you. If Jesus is okay, he can still heal you. If Jesus is okay, he can still save you. If Jesus is well, he knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows how ripped up and how damaged you are. And he's got enough mercy to bring you back. When I read the article, we had a 40-foot fifth wheel back then, and I about tore that trailer up. When I read this, Mr. Featherstone said, some debate whether or not we should have embarked on the painting in the first place because some say it would have been better to leave it in its damaged condition. Are you ready? He said, but personally, I believe that the institution was right because surely it would have been wrong to let the people who damaged it have the last word. Featherstone said, I refuse to let the ones who damaged it and ruined it and messed it up have the, my God, the worst thing you can do is sit there in your unforgiveness and in your bitterness. The worst thing you can do is remain offended and wounded. The worst thing you can do is let the ones who hurt you and cheated you and lied on you and misused you have the last word. Get up. God ain't done with you yet. Get up. There's a story to tell. A message to preach. A revival to have. Pastor, get ready to read. He fell, became lame, and he falls off the pages of the Bible until five chapters later when the king says, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can show some kindness to for Jonathan's sake. And a man speaks up who happens to be named Zeba. Uh And Zeba says, well, king, there is another, another son left, but he was lame when he was five years old. The amazing part is the name Zeba means a statue. So the only connection Mephibosheth had with the king was with somebody who never changes. <laughs> who told you that the best thing you can do is take your hurt to somebody else who's been hurt and hasn't got over it? Look, if you want to take your wounds to somebody who's been wounded, I remember Isaiah saying he was wounded for our transgression. 
See, he was able to say, Father, forgive. He knew how to live beyond wounds. David says, Zeba, I'm not asking you what his condition is like. I didn't ask you if he was lame. I just want to know, is he available? Go tell him that the king is asking for him. Because the king doesn't care what you look like. He just wants you to show up. I'm going to show you the difference in what man does to you and what the king does to you. Mephibosheth shows up. Watch what happens. 2 Samuel chapter number 9, starting at verse number 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. Yes. He fell on his face. Fell on his face. And did reverence. And did reverence. And David said. David, the king said. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold thy servant. He said, behold thy servant. And David said unto him. Here's what the king said. Fear not. Fear not. For I will surely show you. For I will surely show you. Kindness. Kindness. For Jonathan, for thy, Jonathan thy father. This is what the king does to you. Watch. Uh, and will restore thee. Stop. Man may damage you. Man may wound you. Man may hurt you. But the king, he just read it, restores you. Why? Because he's the one that made you. He knows your value. He knows your beauty. He knows your worth. He knows what you have. He knows what you can do. And regardless of what man did, there's a God. There's a king who wants to restore you back to what he made you to be. tell you I'm gonna tell you we label we label a lot of things as apostolic Acts 238 is apostolic Jesus name baptism is apostolic holiness is apostolic come on worship is apostolic but you hear me restoration grace and mercy forgiveness love is just as apostolic as all the other stuff is You didn't hear me. Restoration is just as important as Jesus' name baptism is. Restoration is just as serious as holiness is. We got to, well, Brother Atkins, you're giving people a right to sin. No, I'm giving them a right to come back home. I'm giving them the right to be restored. I'm giving them a chance that man refuses to give up. I refuse to stop preaching grace and mercy because the charismatics have taken it and extended it beyond where it should be. If it's in that book, this man's going to preach it. (laughs) 
Come on, you go read the book of Psalms. There's one chapter after every verse. We are told for his mercy endureth forever. If God's mercy has no limitation, we don't need to have a limitation to what man can do. And bringing man back, I don't care how many times you prayed them through, pray them through again. I don't care how many times they've come to an altar, come again. Come on. There's no limit. The perfect people sing this. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. But us less perfect people sing it like this. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah. Thank God for saving me and saving me and saving me and saving me and saving me. And so you ain't getting it yet. And saving me and saving me and you ain't getting it yet and saving me and saving me and saving me and saving me he's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances if he doesn't give up on us you don't give up on them Oh, by the way, Mr. Featherstone and his team was able to fix the painting. However, the difference in the painting and you is Mr. Featherstone isn't working on you. The chief cornerstone's working on you. And when they brought the painting back to its original beauty, Mr. Featherstone said what was once a complete wreck has now become a pleasure to look at again. And here's the amazing part. When they brought the beauty back, the painting, the name of it was changed again. So today, if you walk into an art gallery and ask them about wreck beyond repair, they will tell you, oh, it's no longer called that. It's now called Adoration of the Shepherds. It took on the name the Creator gave it. Because it was restored back to what the Creator made it to be. So when you get your life in the hands of Jesus, you're not wrecked beyond repair. You're adored. 
You're loved. You're wanted. I understand why we say it. That it's got some credence. It's got some validation. But, but there's another part of me when I hear it. It just doesn't sit well with me. When preachers say things like, God don't need you. I get it. But there's another part of me that, that feels like, you know, when you hit your funny bone, it tangling sensations and another part of me that feels that because I'm thinking he don't need you he can't do it without you that's why he called you I'm sorry you've been wounded I'm sorry you've been hurt I'm sorry you've been misused but today, everything can change for you. If you'll just accept the king's invitation. He doesn't care how wounded and how hurt and how busted you are. All the king wants to know is, will you come? So when I give this altar call and you sit there, you're not saying no to me today. You're saying no to the king. You're telling the king, I'm not available for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, I know you're hurt. No one looking around right now. This is a serious moment. I know you're busted. I know you're wounded. I know you're crippled. I know things aren't looking very good for you. But the king is willing to look beyond all of that just for the chance to restore you. Will you accept a king's invitation? Everyone praying right now, praying loudly, not quietly. Someone needs to move right now. You need to move from behind that pew and you need to come to a king's invitation. God, I'm tired of my wounds. I'm tired of my hurt. I want restoration. I want a new identity. feel wrecked beyond repair anymore so I'm giving it to you I'm putting my damaged condition in your hands you know where my wounds are you know where my hurt is you know how to heal you know how to heal The king loves you enough. He's asking for you. He just wants a chance.